Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Listen, I feel like in some sense I need to introduce myself to some people in here simply because I'm not normally here. And so if you're visiting today, normally I'm like sitting out there and my husband is the one who is up here. But today it seemed fitting um, simply because we had a group, a team that I was a part of with seven other women who we came back several weeks ago working at a human trafficking relief organization called Maurice. And today we are going to commission another team that would be going out in a couple of weeks to work at this organization, Damaris. And today is our final gathering before we come back together again on Saturday to spend time together with friends and family on Christmas Eve, but to do the very thing that we have been thinking about and talking about and praying about. And that is how we will financially and generously give to support and to partner with this organization called Damaris. When the team and I were there um, about eight weeks ago, um, we met this woman that I want to introduce you to. I wish I could introduce you to all the women, but I picked the specific woman simply because she had been trafficked for 10 years and she's gone full circle. She went through restoration and healing, and now she is this savvy business owner We got to go into her shop. We got to hear her story. We got to meet her on the photos. You're not going to see her photo photo or her face because it's still a life-threatening kind of thing for her. I want to tell you a little bit about her story. Monique grew up in a village with a single mom. She didn't really understand why she didn't have a dad, but there was one day that very abruptly her mom moved her and her daughter to the city. Monique was in school at the time, and when she came home from school one day, she found her mom lying on a couch, dead. And um, she saw a woman that was in the room, and the woman said to Monique, I'm going to take you with me. There is a neighbor who is your mother's friend, and she will take care of you. So Monique tells the story of going with this woman to an apartment. Eventually, she was led to a brothel, although she didn't know what that was. She said there were just many rooms, there were a lot of girls, and there was a lot of screaming in the other rooms. She said this, she said, I was just 13. My life changed when they took me there. I hoped it was a nightmare and that would wake up soon, but it was real. The traffickers changed her name. They put marks on her face. They put marks on her arm. They put marks on her back. They put marks on private areas of her body and told her that your body now belongs to the madam of the house. She said, I witnessed countless friends die. I've attempted to take my life on numerous occasions. I had 18 abortions by the time I was 23. And I witnessed others who gave birth to their children only to have that child taken away and sold. People ask me, why don't I simply just run? But they don't understand it's not that simple. 
I would run to someone whom I trusted. I would run to the police, but the trafficking has infiltrated the system so that they would take me back to the brothel where I would encounter and be beaten mercilessly so that I begged for death, but death never came. I know this is a heavy way to start a message, but the reality is this, is that what we're part of and partnering with is real. And life is not easy for the voiceless. Monique even said this. She said, I had my own questions. People are asking me questions. I had my own questions. I want to know, where is this God that my mother taught me about? Where is the one who said that he knew me and he formed me in the womb? I spent countless days working for the madam and I would make money only to have to give it back to her. She had a plan for me, but so did my creator. Later on, Monique wrote this. She said, I saw death face to face, but it didn't take me. I saw pain, yet it didn't drain me. I saw hopelessness, but it didn't end me. Helplessness, but it didn't lessen me. I saw betrayal from my community, and it didn't destroy me. I saw the reality of voodoo witchcraft, and it didn't swallow me. My voice needs to be heard. Souls need to be saved. People need to be rescued. My story is the reality of thousands caught in the sex trade, but more importantly, it is a story of the redemption and healing, and hope of the gospel. Listen, church, listen. We don't take on these partnerships, and we don't just get on a plane and zoom across to another side of the continent because we are the Savior. We go there because we know the Savior. And we don't just rally together to give financially and generously simply to build a building or to to gain some kind of good favor and good standing with God. We give to build a place. That place is not hope, but it's a place where people can find hope. Women who feel unwanted, abandoned, unloved, unseen, that when they come to this place, they find safety. They know love. They feel seen. And they hear the hope of Jesus Christ. Church, that is what we are a part of. Before we went to Damaris, they simply, they, they told us a little bit about the activities that we were going to be doing. We had a lot to prepare and plan, but they told us this. They said, when you come, don't come with your cleaned up, sanitized versions of American Christianity, where you talk about going to church camp, playing a bunch of really cool games, and then meeting Jesus Christ. Like, good for you. But what we want to know, what these women need to hear, they want to hear where Jesus Christ reads the, the real things in life. Tell us about the death that you faced, the loss, the divorce, the depression, the fear, the anxiety. But not simply because that's all of your story, but tell us how Jesus met you there. Tell us how he redeemed you there. Tell us how he restored you there. Tell us how he healed you there. Tell us how he rescued you there. Tell us how he saved you in that place. That's what these women need to hear. And so we went with our activities and what I want to do is I want to use the passage of scripture that we use as a framework for 
all the activities that we did with the women, all the games that we played, all the stories that we shared with them. This is the passage, the framework. And the thing is this, is Mike has been leading us um, in this series called God With Us, really kind of preparing our heart to hear the Christmas story in a fresh way. But the reality is, is God with us is not just a Christmas story. It's a reality, everyday kind of story. And so what I want you to do is I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 139. And what you're going to recognize and see in this passage is there's bookends in this chapter. There's a bookend at verse 1. There's a bookend in verse 24. And on one side, this bookend is a recognition of intimacy, but the other bookend is an invitation to intimacy. On this end, the recognition of intimacy is when David says, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. But on this side, it's an invitation to intimacy where he says, oh, Lord, search me and know me. And in between are all of these verses where we discover and we find that we are known and we are seen and we are created and we are loved and we are comforted. And that is the message that we took to these women. And I even kind of wrestled with it like, like really, do I, do I teach this message today? Because for some of us in this room, it could feel incredibly like maybe like basic And I just kind of landed at the place where it was like, if it's basic, then so be it. And here's why. Because I know in my own life, I can look at the trajectory of our church over the past three years and see where we've been. I've heard stories from many of your lives over the past three years. And here's what I believe. I believe that there is something that needs to shift. I believe that God wants to work in a fresh new way where we move from a lip theology, where we mimic spiritual platitudes to a lived out theology that is real and practical in our everyday life. So it's going to require a couple of things from you today. One, it's going to require humility as we look through this passage. It's going to require humility where we land and we can say that we believe what God says about himself, about who he is. And it's going to require vulnerability where we agree with God concerning who he says we are. And so I want us to begin to look at this verse or this passage and what we're going to notice is there's like, it's written like with four, it's got four stanzas and we're going to remain in these stanzas. I'm just going to call them categories. We're going to remain in each of these categories. And I just want to give like a title to each one. And here's the title of the first one. The first one is this, God knows me and his knowledge of me is terrifyingly trustworthy. I know that that sounds like a paradox in reality is this, as we move through this, it's going to sound like that. Like, is his knowledge terrifying or is his knowledge trustworthy? Which is it? One of my favorite questions that I get asked is, um, how are those grandkids? Um, Yes, this is a shameless opportunity to like insert some photos of the grandchildren. So you're welcome. Um, And so this is a question like I get asked all the time. And so I answer like they are adorably exhausting. That's how my grandkids are. So like even in this photo right here, like I could post this photo and it kind of will get this sentiment like, aw, they're so adorable, right? And the thing is, is when we took this photo, we had to do it in a hurry, like in 2.3 seconds. And the goal is not that everyone's looking at the camera and the goal is not that everyone is smiling. The goal is that in that 2.3 seconds that we can capture a photo where no one is crying. 
Because on second three, this is what the photo is. And on second four, this is the photo. And on second five, this is the photo. So when I have my kid, my grandkids, yes, we capture all the adorable photos, but when they leave, I'm exhausted. And it feels somewhat like a paradox. Let's, let's begin reading in verse 1, chapter 139 of Psalm. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. I, just, like, I want us to pause here for a moment purposefully and intentionally. Because I believe often, including in my own life, that we are so overwhelmed, overscheduled, overstressed, in our very overproduced way of living, that we completely overlook the depth of God. So I want us to pause. Who knows me? Like who? Who searches me? Who? Who, who is this God? Let us get acquainted or maybe perhaps even rather reacquainted with the terrifying trustworthiness of a God who knows all things. When Job had, had everything stripped from him, his wealth, his family, he's covered in disease so that his friends don't even recognize him. He's growing through this season of life that none of us would want to go through. And I don't know if Job verbally questioned God or not, but apparently Job questioned God internally in his heart. Because if we go to Job chapter 38, God is speaking to Job. This is from a message paraphrase, but it says this, as if God is talking. Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself together, Job. Up on your feet, stand tall. I have some questions for you, and I want some straight answers. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me, since you know so much. Who decided on its size? Certainly you know that. Who came up with the blueprints and the measurements? How was its foundation poured? Who took charge of the ocean? That was me. I wrapped it in soft clouds. I tucked it away safely at night. And have you ever ordered the morning to get up or told the dawn to get to work? Have you ever gotten to the true bottom of things, explored the labyrinth caves of the deep ocean? Do you know the first thing about death? And do you have any idea how large the earth is? Speak up if you even have a beginning of an answer. And then Job's response after four chapters of questions, he says, I'm convinced you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plans. You asked who is this second guessing my purposes? I admit it, I'm the one. I babbled on about things far beyond me, made small talk about wonders that were way over my head. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll never do that again, I promise. I'll never again live on the crust of hearsay and crumbs of rumors. What he's saying is, look, we may cognitively know a little bit of morsel about God. But we don't really know God. But it is this God who really knows us. If we wanted to pause here for a moment, we could take some of these things and we could like 
create a bucket over here. And in this bucket, we could simply just label it what we believe about God or the doctrine of God 101. And in that bucket, what we would put is we would put that God is all-knowing. Or in parentheses, we could say that he is omniscient. Also in that bucket, though, we would have to put this, that God is unknowable. Or we call this the transcendence of God. That God, in all his supreme, limitless majesty, reigns and dwells in space and throughout time. And in his godness, we can never fully comprehend. He is inscrutable, incomprehensible, or in Psalm 145 verse 3, it says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. So this God who knows all things and is unknowable, the third thing that we would put in the bucket is that he is knowable. And this is what we call the eminence of God, where God desires to be known, to make himself known to us, even though we can never fully comprehend him. He says in Jeremiah 9 verse 20 or 12, through 14, sorry, 23 to 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this. What? What does it say? Let's read it together. That he understands and knows me. David is saying this, this God who knows all things perfectly, absolutely, completely, also knows everything about me personally, thoroughly, and intimately. Let's pick up reading in verse 2. Because he's going to unpack the details of how God knows him. You know when I sit down and you know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. David is saying, God, you know all my actions. You know all my motions. You know all my emotions. You know all my motivations. You know all my imagination. We can come in here clothed. We can come in here masked. We can come in here pretending, but there is no pretending before God. There is no mask before God. All is unveiled and naked before him. If we were to take like all the places he, you know, when I sit down, you know, when I stand up, you know, when I'm lying down, you know, wherever I'm traveling, like you studied my ways, it would sound something like this. He knows wherever I sit. In front of the TV, on the couch, with a friend, at my office desk, at my school desk, in front of my computer, at the ball game, in the bar, at church, or not. In a wheelchair, a high chair, or the principal's office chair. <clears throat> Some parents are like, mm, elbow. He knows where I walk and whom I'm walking with. He knows when I'm in bed and whom I'm in bed with. He knows your heart when we walk into a room craving to be the center of attention, only to leave with questions. Am I loved? He knows the intricate emotions of the insecure person who walks into a room, withdrawn, unengaged, and leaves questioning, am I seen? He knows when you feel proud of an accomplishment that no one else applies and leaves you feeling unappreciated and asking, does what I do even matter? 
He knows those who are emotionally walled off, but with God, there is no wall. He knows when you drive off in anger, hitting the steering wheel. He knows when you're hiding in the bathroom with tears. He knows when you think you're lost, afraid, depressed, oppressed, forgotten, broken, depleted at the end. He knows when you've won. He knows when you've lost. He knows when you've succeeded. He knows when you have failed. He knows when you feel accepted, adored, annoyed, offended, loved, disliked, frustrated, delighted, excited, content, calm, tired, bored, surprised, disgusted, overwhelmed, pleased, panicked, insulted, bitter, anxious, calm, alone, prideful, pleasured, joyful, dismayed. He knows all of you. And it is terrifyingly trustworthy. When he says in verse 6 that, He's hemmed us in behind and before, and he's laid his hand upon us. It it doesn't translate to God took bubble wrapped and wrapped it around you. Now you're all protected. What it really means is this, this military term. When an army would go in and the city is under siege and it's completely surrounded so that there is absolutely nowhere to hide, there is absolutely nowhere to run, there is no escape. That is what he's saying. There is no way I can escape from this. This is too wonderful. I can't even scale up the mountain to comprehend this kind of knowledge. Which leads him into his second stanza. Let's label it this. God sees me. His continual Presence is inescapably freeing. Where at times when it feels inescapable, we feel confined. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to hide. Knowing that God even knows that, there is a freedom to it. Psalm 139, verse 7 through 12. We'll read it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If everything is great, you are there. If I make my bed in shoal, Life is hell, you are there. If I take the wings in the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness isn't dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. For darkness is as light to you. It's as if they are the same. Basically, in a very poetic way, he is saying this. Everywhere I am present, God is present. He uses imagery where he says, if I take the wings of the morning, as if, you know, when the sun rises and all of a sudden the light just spreads out over the entire earth, that beautiful moment, he's saying, if I take the wings of the dawn, almost like the speed of light, everybody do this. That was terrible. Everybody do this. You almost like want to do the Adams family, right? Like, here we go. When you snapped in that one moment, light traveled around the earth 186,000 miles per hour and traveled around the earth seven times. I can't comprehend that. But David says, if I take the speed of light and I end up dwelling in the remotest part of the sea, well, where is that? Well, if we went to a place called Tristan de Cunha, There's a place there, a little island that is 1,760 miles off of any shore. That would be a remote place if we stayed on the surface of the sea. But if we went into the depths of the sea, we would go to the Marina Trench that is located 36,000 feet deep. If we put on scuba gear, we could go about 120 feet until we begin to put ourselves at risk of getting too much nitrogen and passing out. 
And if we were to pass out and we fell to 800 feet, at 800 feet, what would begin to happen would be the pressure would be so great that it would begin to collapse your lungs like squeezing a plastic water bottle and we would be crushed to death and still have 35,000 feet yet to fall. And David has said, even in the remotest part, you are there. The first time that Mike and I forgot the kids, um, <laughs> you're laughing either because we forgot the kids or because it was the first time. I don't know which. Um, but the first time we forgot the kids, we had just started Grace Point Church and we we're meeting in the school. And so we would have to get there early and set everything up in the cafeteria and put up all the preschool classrooms and so forth. And when the church is over, we would have to put it back into the trailer. And so while all of that was taking place at our house afterwards, we would have what was called our first step experience. And all of those who were wanting to join the church would come to our house and we would provide a meal. And so after church, Mike is helping getting everything put together back in the trailer, and I'm rushing home to get the meal prepared. People come. We're sitting around the living room. Mike's there. We're introducing everyone, and our doorbell rings. And it was a church member. And they're like, did you forget something? And there stood our three kids with them. And I'm looking at Mike going, I thought you. And he's looking at me going, no, I thought you. The second time that I forgot um, Josh specifically, I don't remember where we had gone, but we pulled up into our garage in our cool minivan. And he was like four or five, but he knew how to like undo his own seatbelt. He was just very independent. And so we would open up the van doors and normally he would just kind of like get out and go inside. And so that's what we did. We all kind of went inside and closed the door. And uh, we were just going about, I don't even know what we were doing when our doorbell rings and it's our neighbor. And he's standing there holding Josh, who is red-faced from crying and screaming. And our neighbor said, I kept hearing this kid cry and screaming for help. And finally, I followed the sound and came into your garage. And there was Josh strapped into his seatbelt, tangled up, trying to get out. The third time I forgot Josh. <laughs> Poor Josh. I had gone to Walmart to put together this photo album from an African friend who had come to visit us, and I'd gone alone, but Mike came behind me shortly, and he saw me at the photo booth, and he said, hey, while I'm taking our friend to go and shop and get some things, can Josh hang out with you, and, and you bring him home? And I said, yeah, that's no problem whatsoever. And Josh looks at me, and he's like, mom, the Nintendo aisle is right there. Can I go play? And it's like, and I line site, you know, it's like, yeah, great, go do that. I'm going to be here for a few minutes. And so while I was getting it all prepared and uh, turning it like in the kiosk, turn everything in and waiting for them to print everything. I went and picked up a few groceries. I came back and picked up the photos and I checked out and I got in my car and was driving home. And my phone rings and I don't recognize the number at all. And I almost didn't even answer it. But for whatever reason, I did and on the other line. This kid goes, mom, you left me at Walmart. And I'm like, all these things are going through my head. Like, Whose phone are you using? Don't you leave with anyone from that store. But when I'm turning around and I drive up, Josh is standing there with his arms crossed and he's just like. <laughs> My kids are now questioning whether or not they should leave the grandkids with me at all. But God has not lost sight of you. Ever. He hasn't forgotten you. Ever. 
You may have rejected him. You may question him. You may be completely just going through life unaware of him. But your unawareness of God doesn't change his complete and total awareness of you. If we came back to our bucket over here, we could put in another one. That God is all present. Or the word could be omnipresent. He's all present. Everywhere present. And the fact of these truths that God is all-knowing, he's unknowable, yet he desires to be known, yet he is everywhere present, these are truths that are irrevocable, unalterable. They are not debatable or unchallengeable. They are truth. The psalmist goes on to say that even darkness and light are alike to God. When we sat around the table with the women at Damaris, we had taken um, some like magazine things that we had cut out, some uh, fabric scraps, some ribbon scraps, so on and so forth. And they were just putting together things that they really liked, putting down together a picture that represented them. And then they would tell their story about what their dreams were, what their hopes were, like what they wanted to do, what they were good at, what they wanted to learn, where they wanted to travel. Like they were dreaming and hoping. But one of the ladies, I'll never forget, her name was Elise, and she pointed to this round circle that she had just put up into the corner. And she said, this is light. And now that I know Jesus, I know that no darkness can ever come that light. She knew in the depths of her heart, because she had experienced light in the midst of what felt like darkness. Number three, God created and loves me. His thoughts toward me are fearfully wonderful. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when it was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance and in your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet none was none of them. In verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. God's thoughts toward us are immeasurably powerful, and they are powerfully immeasurable. But he doesn't just know you, he foreknew you. It says in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. What we often do is we think of God's power as this thunderous, almost tornado-like kind of thing. But what we're seeing here is this gentle, intricate display of God's power in creating us. Do you know how many bones that you have in your body? Anyone? You didn't even have to pray about that or Google it. Like you knew the answer just like that. 206. When an infant is born, they have somewhere around 270 bones, which some of them will then fuse together until we have about 206 bones in your body, even though you may be unaware of one of them until you break it. Do you know how many microscopic cells are in your body? Don't worry, neither do the scientists. But they estimate that about 37.2 trillion cells exist in your body, but they themselves will tell you there is no way to absolutely measure this truth. Do you know how many blood vessels or know anything about the blood vessels that work in your body right now? Neither do I. So I'm going to read it to you, okay? 
Your arteries right now are carrying oxygen-rich blood from your heart to the rest of your body. And what it's doing is it's feeding your brain and your muscles and all your tissues to keep you functioning properly. But your veins will transport the the deoxygenated blood, try that one, back to your heart. And there is this one-way valve that keeps the blood flowing in the right direction. But the capillaries, these small little tiny vessels, connect the small arteries to the small veins. And it is even said that some of them are like one-third the size of a strand of hair. But if we were to take out all the arteries and veins and capillaries in your body and we were to just string them out, it would go 60,000 miles. God intricately wove you together and he purposefully made you when it says that he formed the days for you when even none of them existed. Number four, God is with me. And this intimacy is disturbingly comforting. Let's read in Psalm 139, verse 19 through 22. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe Those who rise up against you, I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. Listen, I almost skipped these verses. We're just going to leave them out. Because all of a sudden, David goes into what's called this imprecatory prayer, where he's praying against the wicked. But I want you to know that David's heart is on the right side here. He's saying, I'm siding with you, God. I'm not taking up maliciousness upon myself. I'm not taking up vengeance upon myself. I'm looking to you and I'm trusting you. But he is strongly and unashamedly saying, I hate the wicked. There is a moral hatred that I experienced when we were walking the red light district in Athens. And the thing is, I had visited just a block from there like multiple times. But as we're walking down the street and you're seeing light on after light on after light on and broad daylight communicating, this door is open with women for service. This door is open with women for service. This door is open for women for service. And I would watch car after car where people would drive and park and get out and go to the door or motorcycle where men would get off and go in the doors or madams that would peek their heads out the door and then pop it right back in. And I'm telling you that I was angry and I literally left there hating those people. One day we were at Domery Center and we were working with the women and there was a worker who had been there with us most of the days and she was gone one day and we simply just asked where she was. And they said this, she has gone down to the red light district to meet with the madams, to meet with the pimps, to get to know them, to pray with them, to find out where they're struggling, to share scripture with them to share Bible stories with them. And I found myself thinking, you know, we're here working with these women who have been trafficked, broken, destitute, trashed. But many of the madams, many of the pimps had the very same experiences before they became the madam and the pimp. And they desired to be known, and they desired to be seen, and they desired to be loved. Psalm 139, 23, David goes on, and this is where we get to the other bookend, where he's recognizing this intimacy that God has with us, that God initiates 
that he knows everything. And now David is saying, not only have you searched me and you know me, but now he extends this invitation. Verse 23, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And even though David knows, God knows everything about him, David is now extending a personal invitation where he says, look, I'm pulling back the curtain of that crevice in my soul. Look, I'm giving you an invitation to come and dwell in that secret place that no one else knows. I'm inviting you into that corner that I don't even want to look at myself. God, search me and know me. Try me, test me. See if there be any wicked way in me, not just the wicked people, but in me. And then lead me in the way everlasting. I told you it's gonna require humility where we agree with God about who he says he is. And it requires vulnerability where we agree with God about who he says we are. We're going to, next time we talk about God being with us, it's going to be the Christmas story, amen? And um, I just want to give you a little teaser. I love this verse in John chapter 17, verse 3. It says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You know, last week, Mike ended his message with giving you a tool and even demonstrating for you what does it look like to invite God into space and time and be intimate with him. He opened up the scriptures and just slowly showed you how just taking a couple of verses and reading it and spending time in prayer and being still and knowing that he is God. And today what we want to do is we want to give you another tool. Because often we don't know what to pray. We say, hey, think of the person you're going to invite Christmas, but you don't know how to pray. Hey, pray for the women at Don Marie's, but you don't know what to pray. Hey, you know, you're going through this struggle with your kids who have gone off to college or the preschool who is facing this or the relative who's got that illness or that decision that you're trying to make or that person who's struggling or that enemy that you can't stand. And you don't know what to pray. One of the greatest tools that we can do is to take scripture and pray it back to God. I love it. Now that my kids are adults and we're sitting around the table and they love to tell stories. And one of my favorite things, every now and then it'll happen. I'll say, dad, remember when you said, and then they will quote something. It's like, man, it really meant something to them. Sure, we remember it. Sure, we know it. We're the ones that said it. But now they're quoting it back to us. That's what it is like taking scripture and then praying it back to God who reveals himself to us in the scripture. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this Psalm 139 and I want you to think of a person that you're going to pray for. Could be a kid. Could be a grandchild. Could be a friend. Could be a spouse. Could be a relative. Could be a neighbor. Could be someone you don't even know at Domeries. I want you to just take a moment. Let God just kind of speak to you about who it is that you will pray for. And so what we're going to do is, um, you know, you can be in a posture of prayer and your eyes can still be open. 
And we're going to take the scripture and we're going to put it on the screen. But what you're going to see is you're going to see some blanks. And in that blank is the place where you insert that person's name. So if I were praying for Monique, I would say God is with Monique intimately. But we're going to take the scripture from 1 Psalm 39 and we're going to pray it out loud. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead us in the verses. When we get to the blank, you're reading the verse. I want you to say whoever that person's name is. And I'm not going to say my person's name because I think it will confuse the process. But we're going to read it out loud, pray it out loud, and you insert that person's name that God has laid on your heart. Are you ready? Let's read this out loud, pray it out loud. Oh, Lord, you have searched and you know, you know when sits down and when rises up. You know Monique's thoughts from afar. You know Monique's path, Monique's lying down, and you are intimately acquainted with all Monique's ways. Even before there is a word on Monique's tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. You hem Monique in behind and before you lay your hand upon Monique. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot comprehend it. Where can Monique go from your spirit? Or where can Monique flee from your presence? If Monique ascends into heaven, you're there. If Monique makes her bed in shoal, you're there. If Monique takes the wings in the morning and dwells in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead Monique and your right hand shall hold Monique. If Monique says, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. For you formed Monique's inward parts. You knitted Monique together in the womb. I praise you for Monique is fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Let my soul know it very well. Monique's frame was not hidden from you when Monique was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw Monique's unformed substance and your book were written every day that was formed for her when as yet there was none of them. God, how precious are your thoughts toward her. How vast is the sum of them. If Monique would count them, they are more than the sand. When Monique awakes, you are still there. God, search Monique and know Monique's heart. Try her and know her thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in Monique and lead her in the way everlasting. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.